Welcome to the Ross Republic podcast. My name is Adrian. I'm partner at Ross Republic. In this episode, we're going to talk about the next evolution of banking as a service, a super hype topic at the moment. And I'm really glad that we're joined by Claudio Wilhelmer. Um, he was the CEO and co-founder of a new type of banking as a service or embedded finance provider called Paydora. Hi, Claudio. Thanks for joining. Um, how are you doing? Yeah. Hi. Hi, everyone. So nice to be here. Thanks a lot for having me today. And actually, I'm happy to talk a little bit about fintech and especially about embedded finance. Um, maybe probably I just quickly introduce myself. Yep. So actually, I turned 33 a week ago. And uh, what I did actually so far is purely fintech. So I always say I speak three languages. It's English, German and fintech. And um, that's actually it became my home turf in the last decade, I would say. Yep. It al almost sounds like crazy. It's a decade, but I've seen a lot. I've experienced a lot from funding companies, founding companies, and also working, of course, in companies, not only as an employee, but also as a consultant. And so I do have a little bit to share here. Uh, I think I know a bit or maybe two things about FinTech. Amazing. Yeah, thanks for joining. Um, and also, according to your LinkedIn, you've worked a lot in FinTech, so almost like the last uh, decade, uh, apart from your um, job at Red Bull. Um, so I would be really interested to hear uh, maybe one or two sentences from yourself on your main career stations, what you learned, you already mentioned you spent some time already in embedded finance and what kind of insights led you to now take a more proactive role in the banking as a service space with your, um, your own company. Yeah. Yes. So actually, actually I started out um, in a mobile payment startup in back in 2013. Mm -hmm. It's quite well known today, especially in Austria and also Germany. It's called Blue Code. And I was there actually from the very first moment, so almost the very first moment. And that gave me, I would say, the opportunity to see how things work in a company, not only from product, not only from sales side, also from the marketing side, but also when it comes to funding a company. So, you know, like how to build up a startup, a venture. And uh, that was actually my first uh, station, a career station. Then actually I moved over to Red Bull. I always wanted to work for Red Bull. And that's why I moved then from another part in Austria to another city, which is Salzburg. And that's where uh, Red Bull is located. And I was uh, working in the Red Bull Media House, which, which was actually media stuff, yep. you know, like, but very international. And that time was the first time when I was able to build up uh, my network. But uh, very early in my life, I always uh, knew that I want to found something at some point because I'm quite, I would say, entrepreneurial. And so what I did is uh, I founded together with uh, a colleague of Red Bull, my first fintech startup, which okay. was called Sweep. So Sweep at that point was, I would say, a wallet, a mobile wallet. So at that time, mobile payment was quite a hype. So everybody launched um, mobile payment solutions, QR code based um, or even NFC based. But at that time, NFC was not even, you know, a technology which was uh, around a lot. You know, it yeah. was quite new. So that was a time before Apple Pay, Google Pay and all of these things existed. Um, but so what we did is we pivoted into a banking, uh, I would say a challenger banking model. So pretty similar like N26 or Revolut. So a bank account and a card um, and services around this. And what I actually experienced at that time is that it's quite complex to build such a solution because it's not only technical stuff. It's also, of course, product stuff, but also compliance and legal stuff and to get all those things together. And as you know, so fintech is a pre-product, pre-revenue uh, thing. So you need to get lots of investment to be able to show something and you don't even have something at that time. You know, yeah. when you launch it, you don't even have a single, let's say, revenue so far. And uh, at that time, I think I learned a lot how complicated it is to implement with a banking as a service provider. 
and I did that in the couple of last years uh, a few times, you know. So yeah. um, actually, I moved on to Revolut at some point. I was heading, uh, let's say, the German, Austrian, and Swiss Swiss market. So the German-speaking markets, um, not only launching the product Revolut, uh, this was back in 2017, um, but also feature launches like cryptocurrencies, insurance products, the premium product, yeah. so like the metal card and so on and so forth. And again, I had to go through everything, you know, because I knew a little bit what I did before. So I knew how the business works uh, because you can't learn that anywhere. You have to learn it in a startup or in a bank or wherever you go. Yeah. But that's not like you go to university and you know how it works. And yeah, so that was my time at Revolut. But shortly after that, I actually wanted to be self-employed again. And so I started out my own venture, which was actually a consulting company. Yeah. It still exists. It's still one of my businesses. And um, it's mainly about uh, yeah, helping other companies, fintechs, but also beyond the fintech world. So more or less, I would say, traditional companies to get into the, let's say, fintech world. And today you would call it embedded finance yeah. because uh, that's, you know, the business which is currently uh, extremely growing. And um, yeah, so in between, I also founded another startup, which was a number X, a credit card. Mm -hmm. So I did the whole thing again. And uh, finally, I founded Fedora with all the learnings of the last few years, how complicated it is and how easy it can be but also how easy it has to be for such big companies. Yeah. If you want to, let's say, launch such a solution, then that's the way to go forward. And that's why we founded Pedora in 2022. Yeah. And with all the recent developments, of, uh, I can tell you a little bit more about that too. Yeah, uh, yeah that's uh, actually the next uh, step of, of my journey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think like last time when we talked, obviously, um, it was all about Pedora. Uh, and I asked you um, about your main value proposition, which you explained. Uh, nicely, which we can now um, maybe address right now as well, uh, which was uh, that you that you really promised also large companies uh, that want to move into financial services to build out a new profit center um, by adding payment accounts, cards related um, like value added services um, in, the, in the B2B and B2C space and really to, to start generating revenue and really get up uh, up and running fast uh, with these type of um, new products. and. Uh, obviously, it's a super successful value proposition because, as you just mentioned, embedded finance is, is a growth market right now. And a lot of companies, both like large traditional ones, but also, for example, um, scaling SaaS companies recognize this as one of the major opportunities right now to keep like increased client retention and to make uh, more revenue per user. Um, so let's maybe address it right at the beginning. What what you, what problem you solved with Pedora and what the next steps for Pedora are? Yes. So actually, we founded Pedora in 2022. Yep. And the basic idea was to explore this space of embedded finance and to see if we can make it work, you know, to build infrastructure, not only from a technical side, but also from, let's say, a compliance side and providing third parties. So actually big companies which don't want to even develop uh, or invest much resources into that yep. if they uh, would like to start out with such a proposition. So I'm always talking about accounts and cards or any kind of combination, you know, like uh, you can offer a bank account with cards or a, a standalone card whatsoever. And so that's what we did in 2022 together with a company called Doc Financial. So also Doc Financial was our main uh, shareholder and our main investor. Yep. And what they actually did uh, for us, they provided the banking as a service side. So that's purely the API side and the license side. And we built the services on top, which we could then actually offer to third parties. And those third parties are ex exactly those companies which uh, don't want to build any anything on their own. So in most cases, they just, you know, they do have an ecosystem, 
but beyond, let's say, uh, the fintech world. Yeah. So what they have, for example, you know, they have a booking system or whatsoever, and they just want to add a card proposition or an account proposition. And that's where we come in. It's like a puzzle piece, which we plug in, and then the ecosystem grows. Yeah. So we focus on the, let's say, on the heavy lifting in the back end, and they can actually focus on customer acquisition, growth, and the marketing part so that the ecosystem is growing. Yeah. And um, so the recent development with our company, Paydora, is that uh, actually our main sh shareholder decided to acquire the entire company. So they, uh, Paydora now belongs to 100% to uh, Doc Financial because of many reasons. But the most important reason is the business model because, you know, Doc Financial is a banking as a service provider. And I would say it's a next generation banking uh, as a service provider because uh, it's one company, but we can offer now because of this uh, acquisition, mm -hmm. we can offer from one single company, the entire solution may be from the API license set up to, let's say the fully service embedded finance solutions, which are developed uh, by Pedora yeah. and now um, under the brand of Doc. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, first of all, congrats to that uh, major milestone. And I, I mean, Thanks obviously, if you look at the landscape, I think banking as a service is actually, obviously, it's a growth market because more and more companies are looking into adding uh, financial services, but offering that purely as, you know, banking as a service provider and helping these brands get off the ground. It's, it's still a tough market and there's not one super successful playbook, I think, out there yet that shows how to build this up successfully. Um, uh, with other like European banking service providers struggling or or also getting getting bought, so I think um, it, there's still a lot of room to figure out the right business model for these banking as a service offerings. And um, yeah, I think that just shows like how quickly the market is changing and how players are adapting. So that's super insightful um, to hear that story directly from you. And I think before we go into the details of your offering and how you help clients to get these products off the ground, uh, I'd be really curious to hear. Also, from your perspective, how you think this whole embedded finance topic plays out? Um, because on my in my personal view, uh, I think this these like neo banks per se that was a huge trend the last ten years, where you had like a neo bank for everything, for like international travelers, for millennials, for um, for SMEs and so on, mostly built up actually with by by you know working together with these banking as a service providers like a Solaris Bank and Penta, for example. Um, and I worked for, for Holby, which uh, was building up everything on its own, uh, which was also one strategy you could obviously take. But um, but it, for everyone, it was still really, really difficult to prove that you can build this profitably and still with like hyper growth all the time. So um, so that's when I realized that I think maybe there's an, a better business model, which is that the purely licensed players just focusing on being good at compliance, being good at uh, managing these licenses, having a balance sheet in place and then working with others to actually implement, like distribute it, do the marketing and really tailor the offering for their audiences, which they already bring. So you don't have these customer acquisition problems, which the neobanks had. Um, so that, that was like one major insight. And I think that's still unfolding and still going on. Um, and a new perspective, I guess you would be a supporter of like the thesis that this only continues. So what, what do you think how it all will play out? Um, um, yeah, also in terms of like changes in business models in the future, do you think, for example, that all the majority of these like normal banking products like payments cards accounts and also lending will be placed in context you know integrated by non-banks how do you see this whole field um building up at the moment yes 
Well, actually, I think, you know, if you look at the market, so what happened in the last couple of years, so maybe also the last decade, you know, that's where since I'm in the business, yeah. so in the industry of fintech. So if you look at the fintech world, you know, there, I always say there are three waves so far. And before these waves have arrived, you know, it was purely a thing of banks, you know, um, the traditional banks, and they were offering accounts and cards. And it was quite, I would say, a small world, a protected world. Yeah. But then at some point, you know, uh, banking as a service came up. And in this banking as a service revolution, three waves happened so far. So the first wave is definitely where fintechs were able to establish themselves, yep. somehow getting into competition with traditional banks. And, you know, this was at that time, let's say 2012, 2013 and so on. It was quite a battle between them. You know, nobody was really thinking about of collaboration. So everybody said, OK, the banks are the good ones or the bad ones mm -hmm. whatsoever. And the same applied for the fintech world. But nobody thought like, OK, maybe we can do something together. At that time, companies like Revolut came up, N26 and many others. Yeah. And some of them were able to establish themselves with a solid business model. And others simply failed because, as you mentioned before, you need to scale. Yeah. If you don't scale, this is, a, you know, it's all about transactions and volume. And if you can't grow, if you don't have the traction, then uh, there is no way forward. Yeah. Then at some point, the second wave of fintech arrived and second wave was more about collaboration. So that's where banks realized, but also fintechs realized that there is some kind of, let's say, potential to work together. Yeah. And also in this uh, wave, many companies were able to establish themselves and some, of course, failed again. And I think uh, one good example for a success at the, uh, in this, um, I would say, wave is uh, uh, I would say um, payment services directive two, yeah. and the opportunity for open banking, you know, like um, where suddenly uh, FinTech was providing technology to banks and many others, they were able to build new business models with the help of the FinTech developments. Yeah. And now I think we have something like, I would say the third wave of FinTech, where suddenly companies outside of the typical, let's say, industry, neither fintechs nor banks are trying to get into this business. And these are, uh, you could call some of them old economy companies, but not only them, you know. So actually, in fact, everyone who does have uh, an ecosystem yeah. and the existing customer base, they now also look into um, easily expanding into, let's say, the fintech world. So becoming a little bit more, let's say, um, yeah, uh, fintech driven mm -hmm. and also offering a, a product which were not, uh, you know, which were difficult to offer before. Yeah. And that's ex actually where we tap in and where the whole embedded finance uh, thing taps in. Yeah. And a couple of companies are out there to enable this. And so we are as well one. Yeah, yeah really cool. Uh, you just said it's going to be more or it's, it's only becoming increasingly easier to integrate these type of fintech driven offerings. There have been some instances where, for example, large car brands or airlines had like, let's say, for example, loyalty cards combined with credit cards and these kind of offerings or like lending. When you go into a store, you could apply for credit. Um, but obviously, I think our understanding of embedded finance goes beyond that. Um, why do you think it's easier now to be able to think about integrating fintech offerings? What's what are like the factors that have come into place that drive this market now versus 10 years ago. Yeah, so overall, I believe, you know, fintech has grown up yeah. and there is also more trust also from consumers, but also businesses to trust the company, which is not a typical, let's say, bank or a traditional financial institution. Yeah. So um, I think that's one major Im uh, improvement and development in the last few years. And also, uh, I think it's, it's becoming more and more normal that uh, kind of, let's say, 
banking services or financial services are not coming from a bank, you know? So you trust also, let's say you're using Uber. So why not using also the Uber card, for example, or Uber cash? Yeah. And this, you know, that more and more uh, services are uh, rising. And you see that, I mean, if you just look at the, all the delivery services at all, whatever, it doesn't matter where you look at. So uh, any company can become somehow a FinTech, but of course they don't want to be regulated in the first place. So that's why they need the right setup in the back, you know, like you need the regulatory setup, the technical setup, and these services, they are now coming up. You know, we see this since a couple of years with let's say pure banking as a service, Yeah. but this was always, let's say driven by just, you get an, an API and you get the license and the rest you have to build on your own. But the big difference now is that you can standardize those processes and you can uh, develop this for companies uh, without developing it for a single company. Yeah. You, know, you can actually uh, provide this infrastructure to many. And so all of them can easily tap into that with two major, I would say, benefits. They don't have to become the regulated entity because those companies typically don't want to be regulated. So this can be more or less outsourced to companies such as us, for example. Yeah. And uh, the second thing is that you can purely focus on your core, let's say, uh, product. Yeah. And um, you can you can broaden your proposition by not becoming necessarily an expert for the banking, fintech, whatsoever world. Yeah, yeah. No, I fully that's, agree. That's it. Yeah. I think what's interesting as well is that it, it kind of changes the playing field uh, also for fintechs, to be honest, because if you look at Revolut, I would even see them as way more than just a neobank because all the services that they offer and just a portfolio from like near banking, like crypto and investing, but now also into all this um, travel management and exploration and being all these services that um, you wouldn't necessarily see in a banking app. I think that's that's just a, a natural evolution that you that you need to do more than just the banking uh product part but also go beyond to really have more user acquisition tactics and more inflow where you can then use these financial services um, as an enabler uh, on the flip side i think others that were just doing traditional banking on a digital level like the typical for example business neobanks um, i think they will have problems if for example super successful SaaS companies that have hundreds of thousands of users already just integrate the bank account and the card which as you said now it's um the infrastructure is there, the providers like Pedora and Doc Financial, they are there. Uh, what's the reason to go to a standalone neobank that also offers these plain vanilla services? So I think for them, they're now in a really interesting position where they would need to think about either just becoming this BAS provider themselves or doing more than just the fintech and banking part of it, but giving users the reasons to come back to their app to do um, other things as well, like um, accounting or whatever it might be. So I think strategically that's super interesting. And of course, the traditional banks, um, I haven't seen many of them actually moving into banking as a service, uh, but this will be a question for them too. So how, how they would survive if many of their users would migrate to these other types of businesses and services that have integrated banking. Um, so yeah, I think that will be interesting. Um, so let's maybe um, then talk about how you address this market because you already said before that, it was like, here's an API, we have the license, and now you're off to build your own financial offering. But obviously, that approach, I think, was too optimistic in the sense that you would hope your clients know what to do. Um, so can you maybe tell a little bit from your own experience, also in the past projects that you have supported, what was the problem with that approach in like, maybe coming from the second wave that you mentioned, um, moving into the third phase that you go outside of financial services? What are like the common 
issues that you've seen that that you um, or that led you to founding a new company to actually address these these issues that were still there with the existing banking as a service um, offerings? Yeah. Yes. So if you actually look at, let's say, the banking as a service world, then most of the banking as a service providers in the last few years, at least, were focusing mainly on the fintech world. But as you also know, fintech is now a little bit more complicated, yeah. you know, like also because of venture capital. And so I guess this is uh, this is not a, the game plan for the future, you know, so you need to have a different strategy. Yeah. And um, so what we can clearly see is that there is more and more demand from, let's say, the powerful big companies. So there were those who have already their ecosystem. And as you mentioned before, the customers. Yeah. So they have a strong customer base, a strong ecosystem. Then you can easily, let's say, expand into the fintech world. And because also you mentioned before Revolut, you know, Revolut is the extreme, uh, I would say, example of how a fintech was able to turn into a super app. Yeah. Or most likely, let's say what we in Europe would understand as a super app. I mean, there are a couple of other examples, of course, in Asia, like uh, WeChat Pay and uh, yeah. Alipay and so on. But uh, I would say that's one example. You know, Revolut was able to uh, convert from a fintech, transform from a fintech into, a, let's say, more than just a fintech. And now the other way around is that um, big brands, established companies with uh, the, the large customer base and the large, let's say, product portfolio can now also tap into this business. And I think uh, this was difficult in the past and is now becoming more and more easier. And uh, that's actually uh, the way how it works, I would see in, from, from now on. Yeah. So this is, it's not even, it's not, it, I wouldn't say it's not possible, but it's quite, let's say, complicated to launch the next FinTech without having any traction. Yeah. And then just scaling up from uh, zero customers to whatever hundreds of thousands and a million and more, yeah. because that's in fact what everybody is looking into, you know, like you need to scale heavily. Uh, I think it's the way better strategy to address your infrastructure to, uh, let's say, um, yeah, mm -hmm. partners, which already have, let's say, uh, the ingredients for, for success, you know, yeah. and then you can be, that's how, uh, we, how we also see ourselves. So we provide infrastructure mm -hmm. from payment side, compliance side, and overall from, uh, let's say, uh, yeah, banking mm -hmm. as a service uh, proposition. Yeah. yeah. And I think you're also kind of extending uh, the service of the pure banking as a service and API and compliance driven offering of let's say a doc financial to what Pandora has been doing now as really helping these clients to get off the ground quickly and to even support them obviously on the implementation part because we're like I was getting at with my question is that I think many uh, especially the large companies of course fintechs they know how banking works but the large companies they would either need to hire a large internal team to pull something off that has this, this experience, or if you're, let's say, a business development manager at a large company, as you mentioned, that has many customers that recognizes there's an opportunity to go into banking, but then you're going to a banking service provider and they just give you an API documentation and you're kind of lost probably a little bit in this process. And I think that's where what you've been building up kicks in, that you take their needs, you know, understand, yes. help them understand, understand the opportunity and even then go into implementation so they don't have to do that necessarily on their end. Um, I think that's always a little bit of a friction that the client maybe is not educated enough or doesn't have the resources. Um, so they need some help in getting off the ground and then they can obviously decide if they want to keep it outsourced or if they want to build up an internal team. Um, how do you address this when someone comes up and wants to look into this opportunity but maybe doesn't know exactly where to start? Um, I think that's also something that differentiate, differentiates you in the market right now. Yes. So, I mean, um, 
you know, if you come to us, you can actually choose. So we are helping you, but you can choose actually if you want to either just take the API and the license and you want to build on your own, yeah. or if you would like to go for a fully service package. But the fact, you know, that's just the fact that most of the companies, and that's what we talked about before, like, you know, like the big ones, they don't even want to become, let's say, the fintech itself. Yeah. So they want to offer fintech services, but they don't want to become, let's say, a fintech company in a way that they hire their own team. Because, you know, all of these things are quite complex. Yeah. You need to find the right people. It takes time. And I can tell you, you know, because I was also doing lots of projects uh, as a consultant, and I have seen projects implementing with customer, let's say with uh, banking as a service providers, yeah, six months, 12 months, even 18 months. Yeah. And, you know, there is nothing proven until you launch. And then still, you know, you have to you have to prove it from there. So um, what we can say is, um, and that's also what we guarantee, you know, we have quick and short go to market times. You can easily tap into the market without going into, let's say, high investments upfront. Yeah. And um, you can deliver value where it should be delivered and not just, you know, hiding in the, in the let's say, basement yeah. and trying to develop the next uh, solution, which you don't even know if somebody will use or not. Yeah. And I think that's one of the main USBs what we have now in the group, also because of joining forces. So bringing Paydora into Doc Financial uh, means that we can offer this from one single source. And it's also also one of the reasons is because it's so much easier also towards, let's say, uh, the, the, the partner, the clients, yeah. because, you know, not also from the legal side, compliance side and so on, there is one, let's say, contact person, you know, yeah. there is not two companies you have to contract with. So you have one single source, you have one single partner and everything is, you know, uh, much simpler as if it's just two and not three or four. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also one of the reasons why we said, okay, it makes absolutely sense. And I, I think overall, if you look at the banking as a service landscape, um, that's one of the reasons why we are different. And that's why I mentioned before next generation, because you have to think this into the next, let's say, um, yeah, yeah, into the future. Yeah, cool. So let's uh, dive, dive into some of the case studies. And I think what everyone probably knows uh, that spends a little bit of time in fintech, one of the largest tech companies in the world, Apple has long ago now obviously launched the Apple card um, with its own struggles, of course, of their banking partners, but still this has been one of the major case study, obviously of a large company that has a very large customer base uh, that moves into banking to kind of leverage their, their relationships that they have with customers, but also to use the data that they have on customers to improve that financial service, which is obviously something a traditional bank could never do. Um, and similarly, on the business side, Shopify, a uh, well-known tool to create online stores, uh, makes over half of the revenue now, not from being a SaaS tool for online stores, but actually from uh, financial services. So I think a lot of um, companies are taking inspiration from this. And as you said, uh, like moving now into this um, next evolution of uh, financial services or embedded financial services. Um, can you share some of the case studies that you've been working on and, and how that helps these companies to serve their customers better? Yes. So, uh, you know, we have a agnostic platform, so we can actually serve any use case you can think of as long as it's inside, let's say, of a, of a regulatory setup. Yeah. But, um, in let's say from the verticals and the outbound and where i can also tell you where we have some use cases to share uh we have a clear focus and we focus on a couple of verticals such as for example finance insurance mobility travel and so on and so forth 
And um, I can give you a couple of examples for each of those um, uh, verticals. So, you know, um, let's start, for example, with uh, travel. So we have a case called eHotel, eHotel as a travel platform. So they use our platform to book uh, travels and uh, yeah, bookings, actually to make bookings on our platform through our platform. So the payment, actually, they just use our platform. So that's a pure, I would say, API case, and it works very, very well. Mm -hmm. If, if we look at the, let's say, white label side, so the more uh, we always call it the no code, because, you know, either you code on your own or there is no code for yeah. you. So you just have to implement once. It's like embedding a YouTube video into a, a website. Yeah. So that's always how we say it on for our no code solution. Then we can look, for example, into the mobility space. And in the mobility space, uh, we have a couple of customers. So just uh, to share one of them, it's a company called 24-7. And 24-7 is a subsidiary of ÖAMTC and ADAC, so the German and Austrian uh, Automotive Club. Yeah. And they use our solution for assistance payments. So it's kind of, let's say, emergency payments, uh, particularly in the B2B space. So there's a truck driver driving around, let's say, across Europe. They don't typically have cash with them. Uh, and you can't give them cash because how much cash would you give in every truck? You know, yeah. there will be lots of cash and lots of risk because it can get stolen and so on and so forth. Yeah. So what they have, they do have in the in the truck, they have a card. It's actually a MasterCard. It can be uh, loaded with an amount which is needed in case of, for example, you have if you have to pay for fines, for a toll, for repairs, for a hotel stay and so on and so forth. So that's one of the use cases. And we have a couple of others also in the insurance space. So you can take the same, let's say, um, product configuration, call it again, emergency payments. And let's imagine you are traveling and something happens to you and you need instant some money. So what we can do is we can provision you uh, so uh, um, a, a virtual card, yeah. which is then added to your Apple wallet or Google wallet, for example, and you can instantly use it even without having or waiting for a physical card. Yeah. So just imagine you are traveling to the US uh, for some reason, everything got stolen. The only thing you have left is your phone. So we are able to help an insurance to actually uh, issue um, a card directly to you instantly. And you can use the money which is pushed to this card uh, everywhere you want, everywhere we're accepted from the insurance side. Yeah. And as you know, MasterCard Network, it works globally. And this is another use case uh, cool. in this particular case. And another one I would like to show you is uh, finance. So that's a uh, typical uh, industry for us, you know, fin financial institutions, but also fintechs. And um, here it's all about, we do offer a complete uh, digital banking uh, suit. Mm -hmm. So what you can actually do with it is you can offer your own business bank account with your own business uh, cards. Yep. Um, so let's imagine you're a big company and you would like to broaden your ecosystem. Then you can simply uh, use our platform and you can start, we always say within 30 days, we get you live. And without having, let's say, to implement uh, whatever, six months, 12 months or 18 months, yeah. as, as I mentioned before. Yeah, that's a, These are a couple of uh, use cases. Yeah. yeah, that's super cool. I think the diversity also shows how uh, creative you can get with these new banking as a service offerings. So it's not only that uh, you create a new proposition towards your own customers with an added account or a card. It's also possible, of course, I think these are like the main use cases that everyone thinks about, like with an insurance company um, having a better customer experience because you get a virtual card anywhere in the world um, for a quick like payout, for example. But for uh, the um, uh, mobility case, I think that's also very interesting that it's more like an internal efficiency topic where they probably could not go to their house bank and say, well, we need virtual cards for all of our drivers. It's just not 
not how it works, right? So you need to have these. It simply doesn't orders. work. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, yeah. Um, but still, I think the US might be a little bit more advanced, than, or like as you said, Asia more advanced than here in Europe. Um, do you come up with these use cases in like let's say proactive sales as part of your business, or do what you say the market is already at a stage where they come to you with these ideas? Because I think you need to know that like how virtual cards work, that this could be a use case for you internally um, to increase efficiencies. Uh, how do you see that playing out right now? Yeah, so I mean, you know, the use case itself always comes from the market. But of course, as a company, we have to run, let's say, a efficient uh, yeah, sales strategy. Yeah. So we have to, of course, we have to follow the news. We have to see where our platform could fit in. And as I mentioned before, you know, the platform is agnostic. But yeah. You need to be very focused on what you try to, let's say, bring into the market, bring life with a partner. And so that's why we have specialized in our verticals. But uh, honestly, you know, the use cases itself, they are not always but most of the time pretty similar mm -hmm. you know we have our let's say api and license where you can you're completely free whatever you build but on the let's say no code side so the white labeling uh we have a couple of let's say um configurations yeah you can change them for the individual case but um in the end i would say they are always pretty similar not always the same but um on, on this basis i think we can serve the market pretty well you know, it, it doesn't end with the verticals I've just mentioned before, yeah. but this is just because we need to have a focus on where we are addressing our solutions and in general for the market, you know, as you said, um, it's, I would say it's definitely also a little bit of our job to do some education, to mm -hmm. show companies what would be possible, how we can increase efficiency, yeah. how we can help them to solve problems they have on a daily basis, because how would you expect or how can we expect that those people know? Yep. So that's why we need to be, let's say, uh, quite uh, you know, quite well known as a company, but also uh, sticking around at, let's say, events and so on and so forth. And not just, let's say, the typical banking and fintech events, especially the industry events. So we have to go to insurance uh, fair, for example, or we have to go to a mobility uh, event yep. just to let people know that there is uh, embedded finance um, that, that it actually exists yeah. and we can help with an embedded finance solution to improve. And that's why we have to know the, the, the industries inside out, because I cannot go to you and tell you something. If you are an insurance guy, I cannot tell you about uh, how we can improve insurance mm -hmm. uh, if, uh, if I don't know how it works. Yeah, 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 yeah I fully agree. Yeah. Um, is, there, is, is every case different or do your clients come to you with specific questions that they like top three questions that always come up for example i can imagine um how to make money with financial services might not be super clear at the beginning that there are different revenue streams you can tap into so more business case related questions or then also on um internal operations as you said there could be no code but also if you use the apis you could code it yourselves the impact on your own operations uh as you said i think there are some instances where you have large internal teams within a company that doesn't historically come from banking, just building it up over time to run these services or, or um, others that just want to have this no code solution with like minimal impact on their own um, operations that they don't need to have these uh, teams inside um, or in-house. Uh, yeah. How, what are like the main uh, questions that you see popping up when you work with your clients? Yeah, you know, the thing is, um, we have to make something very complex, super easy. And so you cannot, if you, especially if you talk to companies who are not from the business, 
you cannot start a meeting by let's say talking uh, fintech ter in fintech terms you yeah. know or banking terms so you know all those words like issuing acquiring scheme so that doesn't help you much if you want to explain it on let's say a very simple level yeah so um we have to think a little bit about uh, how that works and so the way how we work you know especially in our verticals where we have strategic outbound because if you have inbound let's say sales then um, the use case comes in and we see if we can make it happen yes no it does it fit for example to our risk appetite from a compliance view yeah and then we can also see if it works from a technical side but uh, if it comes to let's say outbound so strategic sales then i would say um the way how we approach this is a bit different so um you can actually just call me i mean it's, it's in a very simple way uh, you can call us me or whatsoever and you tell me what you want where your problems are because i need to understand what i can do for you, you yeah. know? so otherwise I, I i we end up with something what you don't even want so then what we actually do is we prepare something what we call a solution proposal yeah it's nothing else than a paper which tells you who we are what we can do for you how the timeline would look like and the pricing looks and this is actually the base for any further discussion so what we do is we take this paper we uh, are going into a workshop we bring the right people together and then we see you know most of the times the work uh, i would say the 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 solution proposal is 80% of the solution. Yeah. But of course the rest the 20% the remaining 20% we have to work out together. Of course it can happen that the 80% are 100% wrong, you know, because they are looking for something different. But I think in most cases as if I'm think right now about all the cases, uh we have a pretty good I think understanding of what can help and what we can actually uh, yeah. uh deliver to those uh, partners. And then um it's quite straightforward. So we have this workshop we align on that this is the solution we get all the approvals not only on our side but also of course on the partner side um and then uh once we have this solution proposal ready we can actually uh yeah say 30 days to launch okay. that's what we uh, always say and so we can make things easy and short and um as you know big companies you have more difficult uh, structures and uh yeah hierarchies of course as well and you need to make it simple so you have to show a business case how it can develop in the future yeah. how they can make money with it um so there's lots of i wouldn't call it consulting uh, elements but there are some guidance elements you know where mm -hmm. we help how to how for example marketing could look like how uh, we can bring this to market how we can grow afterwards yeah uh, so it's all also about expectation management because also we of course as a banking as a service provider we um actually count on that this model is then working out you know yeah. so because for us it's again it's about transactions it's about volume it's not about the setup because the business model is not setup you know it's yeah. more or less once your life it grows and if we grow um then both of us so the partner and we uh, can succeed yeah 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 and what's like the minimum team size that you would recommend for anyone that wants to go into a quick Uh, you know proof of concept uh, with like an embedded card or account is other like generic kind of like rules that you can give to um these companies or like typically that you see someone setting up a solution like this for example do they need like a dedicated what you recommend a dedicated product manager and like a few developers to run this or or do you not even need actually internal dev resources if you go for the no code solution um what would you like roughly recommend yeah. there As you said, so if you go for the no-code solution, then you don't actually need a lot. So yeah. of course, if you want to do everything on your own, then you need your developers and so on and so forth. 
product management, you know, all the stuff. But if you go for the no-code solution, I think it's always good to have a counterpart, you know, who is actually kind of, let's say, a product manager, yeah. a product owner, who can internally uh, align and uh, organize all the resources needed. But then I think it's purely about, and that's what those companies most of the time, of course, already have. It's a marketing resource, you know, yeah. to, 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 to bring them uh, the product live, to, to, to let the product grow. If it's more B2B related, then of course you have probably your own sales, which you already have. You know, yeah. it's nothing you have to um, you have to hire from scratch or you have to build from scratch. So I think it's good to have one dedicated, um, let's say, resource or person, um, which is the contact person for us as well. Yeah. So we can quickly align and uh, make some adjustments or whatsoever. But other than that, I think most of the companies we are working with already have their resources. And so there is no, not really a need. I mean, it depends on your business case and how, how important it is for you yeah. and how you want to scale this. But I think to start with, it's, it's a pretty simple uh, setup. Yeah, yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, and I think that should obviously also drive the adoption of these type of products because before that, even with banking or service providers, it was still a large project with where you need like proper investments upfront and internal teams to run it uh, and with uh, someone like yourself i think that's really uh, the next evolution that you have these providers that take the, the burden off you to get something to the market quickly to test it out so you can focus on the marketing and getting traction and improving the business case uh how, how do you see the market now playing out also for yourself specifically with the news that you're now super close now to your uh, former parent company to doc financial what are like your goals going forward anything you can share around um around that yeah, I think, uh, you know, for us, of course, uh, it's it's pretty exciting because we do have, I mean, I can say I have a pretty uh, full sales pipeline. So I think a couple of partners coming up uh, as a, with a going live soon. And also many of, uh, of uh, or many others are actually in the pipeline as well. I mean, you know, like the typical sales uh, yeah. pipeline. But um, I believe, you know, um, the next few months, how can they look like and what will we uh, actually deliver? So, of course, our, our platform develops in, and, and evolves. So the things we can offer also on the feature side, of course, something very important. So more and more things are coming in. So we get a more complete uh, platform. But uh, overall, I believe, um, you know, we, we will be quite visible in the next few months. Um, so we have a one brand strategy. So we are focusing all the spotlight on the brand doc. Okay. So uh, doc should be the company which you cannot, let's say, ignore. So if you want to launch something like, uh, let's say, embedded finance solution, you should have at least talked to us. Um, I mean, you know, there are lots of uh, or some uh, banking as a service provider around. But I think um, my very own, let's say, vision is, of course, um, yeah, to be uh, very uh, present in the future yep. and uh, that people do know that they have to talk to us because we are the experts and the specialists for solutions from API to no code. And I guess that's the, that's the plan for the next uh, couple of uh, weeks and months. Yeah. And overall, I think the market, you know, there's so much potential. Of course, you always have to prove the potential. It's not enough to say huge market opportunity yeah. and so on and so forth. But uh, looking at what we have in the pipe and what is coming up shortly, I think uh, there's uh, yeah lots of uh, good stuff in. Yeah. yeah, sounds amazing. And do you uh, do you uh, focus on like certain geographies for now, like the German-speaking area, or um, uh, are there like already like clients up abroad? Yeah, so we do have um, let's say um, a license. So it's e-money license. Okay. Uh, it's passported across Europe. So we are live in every EEA country. So that's where we can serve the market. It's always, you know, only the limits are the regulation in this case. 
And um, we are live in uh, most of those countries with a live product already, okay. such as, for example, one product we have uh, with the Metro Group, which is uh, live in more than, I think, 10 countries right now. Cool. And uh, yeah, so that's just limited by regulation and yeah. the regulation where we are in. Yeah. yeah, yeah, super cool. And maybe one last word on your outlook on, on regulation and compliance, because we've seen, obviously, actually around the world, regulators now looking more into banking as a service business models that, uh, you know, putting more emphasis on proper um, AML and compliance and customer identification and all of these topics. Um, how do you how, how do you see that playing out? Is that something that um, will intensify or that just means that obviously the bar is higher for everyone now that does banking as a service that you just need to, uh, yeah, just make sure that everything is, is properly in place. Obviously, it has to be that anytime, but um, I think now since there's like more since it's more in the focus, it's it's a bigger issue, or how do you see that um, playing out? Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, regulation was always here and it's important, but it also gets more, let's say, strict and strict, and there are good reasons for it. So the way how you tackle this, this is, of course, you need the right processes and you need to also digitize this. So that's also a big opportunity uh, for the market itself, for the fintech industry, but also especially for us, we also offer kind of, let's say, a product called I mean, overall, let's call it compliance as a service, mm -hmm. because, you know, many companies do have this requirement of having, uh, let's say, compliant onboardings, not only in the fintech world or the banking world, insurance world, also, let's say the lawyer or if you buy a house whatsoever, yeah. a, a, a real estate property then uh, you need to somehow do a proper verification. And I think uh, if you look at the compliance thing, it's good that we have compliance and it's good that we have regulations. It protects the market from, let's say, uh, use cases which are not, let's say, um, yeah, which are not, which shouldn't simply exist. Yeah. But um, I think, I, I would say uh, um, we have a strong, um, let's say, focus on compliance as well. And, you know, if you look at the, uh, at the developments of the last few years, um, what happened in the market, it, it's, it's a good thing that we, we have, a, let's say, strict regulations here. Yeah. And um, it's like any any business, you know, it's somehow regulated and it's uh, you don't you can't forget it's about, you know, financial industry. Yeah. So it's something, you know, it's not just like um, whatever Facebook or whatsoever yeah. where you launch a social media app. It's something which is relevant for the uh, 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 yeah, for the economic. Yeah, 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 yeah I fully agree. Yeah. Yeah, very, very uh, interesting to hear your insights on this. Um, uh, yeah, so all the best for the transition now that you're in, like uh, taking a closer relationship with your uh, with your parent company, Doc, and that you now focus all the branding on, on this one brand strategy. So be obviously following how that, uh, what comes out next and everything. So all the best for also the upcoming use cases that you already teased. Um, and also, my, my, I fully agree. So my own perspective as well is that we, we see still like a lot of traction in this market and especially now moving into more traditional industries more and more like you already mentioned uh, some of these more traditional players where you might have never expected actually since they're like i would say more conservative uh companies coming from the german-speaking areas where you might think well actually they would be the last ones to go into this market um that they now jump onto this i think it's a really strong signal um, for the whole market so i think um yeah it'll be really interesting to see um, how the market grows what what different use cases come up um, and how like financial services are more and more used internally for internal operations to make them more efficient and lean, but also for customer use cases. Um, yeah, so I think that's that's where I personally believe we'll, where we'll see a lot of innovation. Um, actually, as you said, like phase two to phase three, maybe not so much anymore from these former fintechs, but rather, 
yeah, as you said, like companies where you might have not expected it um, that now have already a large user base and now integrate these offerings into what they have using the data that they have, um, which is only something they can do, not, not a bank, not a fintech. And yeah, I think that will be super exciting yes. to see. Yeah. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining. Thanks a lot for having me and uh, happy to happy to follow up everybody who wants to connect. Just uh, ping me up on, uh, let's say, LinkedIn or whatsoever and happy to chat about fintech, the startup world or whatever you would like to know. No, absolutely. We will put your uh, also your URL for Doc as well on the show notes. And uh, obviously, Claudio, I think you're quite reachable on social media and LinkedIn as well. So I uh, can only recommend uh, for anyone that is interested in a space and especially uh, using banking as a service or embedded finance use cases um, to hit Claudio up. So all the best for the future. And again, thanks for joining. Thank you. Thanks a lot.